Welcome, this is Off The Fence. We're back another week. Uh, it's been a big, pretty big day in terms of international politics. We're going to be talking all about that later. If you listen to us for the first time, this is Off The Fence with me, James Fox. Also, Alex Maskell here. What's up, everyone? If you want to catch us on Twitter, we're on uh, at Off The Fence Talk on there, soundcloud.com slash Off The Fence, plus we're on iTunes, so catch, catch us all on there. But we're going to be talking about, obviously, what's been happening with Syria over the past 24 hours and over the past week as well. Um, that's going to be big. Obviously, the US, France and the UK uh, did a missile strike overnight. And that's been basically taking over the news coverage all day today. So that's what we're going to be talking about. A few other things as well. But generally, we're going to be talking about the fact that Theresa May sent four RAF tornadoes to do this bombing run without a vote in Parliament and without consulting MPs. Uh, we're going to be discussing whether or not this is part of a new Cold War with what's going on with Russia, Iran, Syria, the US, the West. That whole kind of topic as well. We'll be briefly dipping into that towards the end. Plus, we're going to be talking about what's actually happening, obviously the, the core of what's been going on and the big discussion about what it might lead to. Is think, Are things going to escalate? Before we come on to that later, there's a few things that have happened this week and inevitably when something big happens like this what happens with the news cycle is obviously smaller stories or even very substantially big stories do get missed because of something like this yeah for instance we're not even going to touch on the fact that jeremy hunt appears to have done a moderately illegal whoopsie daisy a seven several properties in southampton he failed to declare apparently or something like that uh, oh. which does it breaks some sort of um uh, accommodation. I think it's the Accommodation Act that was brought in in 2013 by Cameron. Yeah, yeah uh, a real meant, illegal mix-up. Yeah, it was meant to crack down on money laundering. Yeah, that, that's an awkward one. He said sorry. He said it's a, a legitimate mistake, a whoopsie from him. I love it when people who may have broken the law get to do that. Yeah. He's been referred to the MP's standards watchdog over that. So we'll see where that goes. A few other things, though, that have been missed. And like, like I say, it's worth covering these because, you know, you heard about the story about what happened in 9-11? Uh, when the day that like, 9-11 happened, the communications director for the Blair government at the time uh, just sent an email around like the cabinet saying, you've got any bad stories, get them out today. So it's always worth, when something really big happens, keeping your eye on everything else as well. Yeah, yeah, because the powers to be are so cynical that they will use this kind of opportunity for anything they can. Yeah. So the first one of those is actually to do with something that the BBC will be airing. And we first heard about this from a tweet from Emil Rajan. If you don't know who Emil Rajan is, he's the media editor at the BBC. He tweeted this. On Saturday, for the first time ever, with ever in capital letters, so for the first time ever, Enoch Powell's Rivers of Blood speech will be read in full on UK radio. By actor, Finally. Yeah, I, I love, <laughs> for the first time ever, we are bringing you Enoch Powell's Rivers of Blood speech. By actor Ian McDermid, I can't really say his name there, he says, please join us on BBC Radio 4, 8pm. Super Brains Nathan Gower and David Prest have done an amazing production job. Great guests too. And I know he's the media editor, so he's kind of doing like a media angle on it, but... I think we can underline there, like it, it's just the, the framing in his tweet is ridiculous. It's an insane way to talk about this. I know. And a lot, of, a lot of people have said, you know, oh, 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 they do documentaries about Hitler on the BBC. Oh, you're not complaining about those. And it's like, well, it's not really the fact that it's included. I mean, first of all, that you're airing basically dedicating a whole show just to what is basically a racist rant. Um, and to, to describe Enoch Powell's significance compared to Adolf Hitler's in the 20th century is a bit ridiculous. 
And, yeah. and, and lastly, it is just the way he's framed it here, saying, for the first time ever. Yeah. It's like, it's not, you know, it's not smash hits, you know? Also, frankly, uh, Enoch Powell's Rivers of Blood speech has a lot more cultural continuity with our current political situation yeah. than anything to do with some, like, documentary about Hitler. Enoch Powell's Rivers of Blood speech fundamentally lines up the exact same racist ideology, this fear of being overrun by the foreign hordes that powers Britain first, that powered the English Defence League, that powers all of these, like, kind of up-and-coming racist and neo-fascist groups in this country. And I personally am really not looking forward to, like, the potential recruiting power a lot of these groups will find in a nice, glossy new production of, you know, this speech, which has never been, like, recorded in full. They haven't had this opportunity before. And this thing that really, in an incredibly crystal clear way, delineates the racist ideology of the modern, like, the modern yeah. right. You know, that that exists as a resource for them now, or will shortly, really worries me. And I think that it's frankly irresponsible of the BBC. The other story we're going to quickly talk about comes from the Labour Party. They launched an interesting policy this week, free bus travel for under 25s. Obviously, younger voters are ones that are voting for Labour in, a, in high numbers. And regardless of the turnout, you might have views on that or whatever. Um, the percentages of young people going for the Labour Party rather than Conservatives is very high. You know, sometimes going up to uh, 60, 70 percent. We're looking at 30, 40 point leads sometimes to the Labour Party in the youngest demographics. Um, so it's no surprise to see um, Corbyn giving this policy. And young people, you know, economically compared to generations previous at the same age of at the same time of their life, um, don't have it as well. The first generation to be poorer predicted than their parents. So, you know, what, what can we do to help the young people? And one of those is free free bus travel. John Elledge of the New Statesman called it a political masterstroke um, for a few reasons we can call right now, which is essentially that, similar to the tuition fees, it just may, basically trolls the Tories, or we're well, not even trolling, really. It, it dares them to oppose it. Yeah, it, it puts them in a position where they've got to actually put... The, you know, they're lying on the table of what they actually want to do to help young people, or they can just go, no, we think it's ridiculous, we're not going to do anything. So it's, it's kind of like a win-win. Yeah, why would we ever help these yeah. people? Or, or, or it, you know, it leads them down a path that means that their masks slip off and they say stupid things, like we have a few examples of right now. One of those is from Nusrat Ghani, and why is Nusrat Ghani, well, they're the transport minister, so that's why you might be expecting a comment from them called the policy as bribing young people, Nusrat Ghani. Bribing young people, saying that they can have free bus passes that are under 25. I mean, it's not like the Conservative Party have ever bribed another generation under those terms. You know, if that's if that's what you'd call a bribe, okay, let's take it on your terms, Nusrat Ghani. What about, you know, the winter fuel allowance? What about, you know, free bus passes for the elderly? The can entire idea is dumb. This basically allows you to frame any policy that benefits anyone as a political bribe. It's kind it's of insanity. It's almost on the same level in kind of in, con in terms of conservative analysis as that term virtue signaling. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah in yeah. the same way, it's like yeah. No one's actually authentically a good person. It's all cynicism. Yeah, yeah. Nusrat Ghani also cited the millennial rail card. Do you remember that came in? Twenty-six to thirty-year-olds getting a third off, I think. Um, which is in line with the under 25s getting a third off already with the 16 to 25 young persons rail cut. 
So the 16 to 25s, that's not anything new. All that they're citing there is the 26 to 30s, which is good. Like, and, uh, I'll you know, take it. Credit I'm turning 26 pretty soon. Yeah, credit where credit's due, but at the moment we're talking under 25s. And this is a larger, larger point of, well, you know, millennial rail card, train travel. What about all the young people that live in the cities? You know, what if you're a young person in London or, you know, other metropolitan areas, Bristol, Manchester, you know, Liverpool, Sheffield, Brighton, you know, you know what I'm saying? You're not going to be taking the train so much. I know that here in Brighton, we're not so much, you know, with the, the buses quite a lot. So what you can do to help those, those young people. But the mother of all counter tweets to this goes to the unsurprisingly um, crowned head of James Cleverly. It's almost like he's got a degree in doing this sort of... He's quite active on Twitter. He um, he regularly takes the crown for completely putting his foot in it on yeah, Twitter. Yeah, most owned. Yeah. Probably second to that is Nadine Dorries. But uh, definitely up there is James Cleverly. Um, so what did he have to say to this? He, he said this. Quote, And remember, kids, when it comes to elections, Labour think you're an adult at 16. That's in reference to votes at 16. You know, yeah. give them the vote. When it comes to bus travel, you're not an adult until 25. I'm sorry, was he calling this the free bus pass for wee little babies or something? <laughs> Have I missed something here? It's, it's, it's actually incredible. It's one of the most incredible tweets I've ever seen. Um, Daily, po- Daily Politic, and um, bear in mind, this isn't the BBC Daily Politics show. This is a Twitter account, at Daily Politic, with a K on the end. Um, replied to him saying, Hell yeah, dude. And remember, oh. kids, when it comes to paying taxes... The Tories think you're an adult at 16. When it comes to your minimum wage rate, you're not an adult until 25. That's in reference to the living wage, the national living wage, which doesn't kick in until you're in your mid-20s. So basically, if you're 18, 19, 20, working a job, you don't deserve a living wage, is what the Conservatives are saying. You can have the bog-standard minimum wage, which is the same fucking thing anyway. You know, The fact they've branded it as a living wage, it's just a minimum wage top-up. It's what the minimum wage should be. Yeah. But there you go. You know, living wage, 25. Supposedly not an adult until then. But this whole, like, the fact that the standard for being an adult is paying to go on the bus, that it, it doesn't take away your adulthood. It's not treating them like children, saying you can go on the bus for free. And James Cleverly, if you think giving people free bus passes is treating them like babies or children, or even if you want to say it, teenagers, then... Why do we give free bus passes to the elderly? Well, Who are your they, core... they vote conservative. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's your core demographic. So basically, through your own logic, old people are babies. Now, we can go down that argument and want for all, all other reasons, but that's, that's literally what he's implying there. So it's a ridiculous statement to make from him, James Cleverly. Now, let's move on anyway to what we're actually going to be talking about tonight. Of course, what's been happening in Syria, the US, the UK, Theresa May... Uh, everything going on there, Vladimir Putin, Bashar al-Assad. Alex, what is it? Yeah, so at 4 a.m. last night, Syria time, uh, the US, UK and France launched 105 missiles at three sites in Syria. Uh, This came in response to an alleged chemical weapons attack in Douma, uh, a suburb of Damascus currently held by Jaysh al-Islam, which is claimed by groups within Douma to have killed more than 40 people. Uh, these sites uh, all supposedly uh, were major chemical weapons processing facilities or stockpiling uh, places. They're all spread across the west of Syria with two west of the city of Homs and the Syrian Scientific Research uh, Center existing within the popular city of Damascus. 
That obviously was the strike that got the most attention, being as it hit the middle of an extremely populated city. Uh, among the attacking forces, four RAF tornadoes participated, and they were ones the ones that struck near Holmes, hitting a former missile base, which is supposedly the storage site for a lot of chemical weapons materials. Uh, the Syrian Observatory for Human Rights, an anti-Assad information office that's actually run in Coventry by one guy, uh, has also claimed that, quote, several military bases have also been hit. It says that the Republican Guard headquarters and the Army's 4th Division were targeted, the Guardian. Uh, now, it's worth mentioning right up front. Uh, this attack, according to the Grey Zone Project interview with UN-recognized experts on international law, Alfred Desaias, would be considered illegal, according to international law. Desaias comments that since the attack was not defensive and had not been agreed upon by the UN Security Council, it is, quote, the crime of aggression, rendering the US, UK, and French governments once again criminals in the eyes of the international community. Desires also notes that in international law, if there's a civil war, there's an obligation of neutrality for the rest of the international community. The only country that is there, shall we say, by, uh, by invitation, and therefore legally, is Russia. We may not want to accept it, but that is what the international law says. So whatever activities United, uh, the United States is having in Syria at present are incompatible, uh, both with the United Nations Charter and with customary international law. He claims that what worries me is that we do have international law obligations and we are ignoring them. What that means is that the fabric which holds society together is being torn apart. We are eroding those very principles that we ostensibly want to protect. So we're doing more damage to international law and to international relations than we seem to understand. So we've been breaking international law in order to defend against breaking of international law in what I like to call a Batman gambit. We are, internationally speaking, Batman here. We are just essentially international military vigilantes. Uh, so currently, uh, it appears that the attack was given a great deal of warning. The French defense minister, according to the Associated Press, claims that Russia was warned ahead of time and evacuation appears to have taken place, uh, making this rather similar to the attack last year where over 50 US Tomahawk missiles lightly damaged an aircraft hangar uh, in, in response to another purported chemical weapons attack. The Russian military claims that no one was killed and indeed the US appears to have backed this claim up. Uh, and they also claim that they're considering selling Syria their new air defense missile, spending, uh, missile system, which they've been holding off until now because the West has kind of prodded them not to. Uh, Trump tweeted, mission accomplished, which appears to be tempting fate if anyone remembers the Iraq war. Uh, he's also claimed that there'll be more to come, uh, once again contradicting Secretary of Defense James Mattis, who has claimed that this is it for now. Uh, the UN Security Council is actually currently meeting to discuss this strike. Uh, Patrick Greenfield, recording in The Guardian, says that Ambassador Vasily Nebenzia, I, I hope I got that right, uh, has said that the US-led strikes in Syria were a, quote, act of aggression against a sovereign state, accusing the UK, France, and the US of, quote, diplomatic hooliganism and showing a blatant disregard for international law. Which again, the, the claims from our international law experts speaking to the Grey Zone Project would back up. Uh, Nikki Haley, according to Greenfield, uh, has N said- Nikki Haley being- Nikki Haley being the US ambassador to the UN. Uh, she has claimed that uh, the US, the United States is, quote, locked and loaded for further retaliation to chemical weapons attacks, seemingly not particularly caring that they broke the law the first time and threatening to do it again. 
That's Trump rhetoric for you right there as well, locked and loaded. I swear he's used that terminology it is. before. It's the kind of thing that someone would say in a hacky action movie, so it's the kind of thing that would appeal to him. It's also worth notice, uh, noticing uh, that the OPCW, which is a chemical warfare uh uh, investigatory and it's basically the, body. yeah it's the, it's, the, it's the investigatory body behind the convention which has been put in place since 1925 yes. under no chemical weapons yes they have just arrived in Damascus in Syria to commence their work uh, checking into whether or not this chemical weapons factory that we've already broken international law to prosecute actually took place so good to know that that absolutely could not wait uh, so that's what's been going on in Syria. Now, the response to these, we've got some response. We're going to say what Theresa May said in a minute uh, and Jeremy Corbyn as well. But internationally, the response from Russia, um, what has that been? They said uh, the Russian ambassador. Um, have you mentioned this quite already? I did not. Um, Such actions will not be left without consequences. And said Moscow was being threatened. Quote, insulting the president of Russia is unacceptable and inadmissible. I mean, that would be a slightly less credible claim if our prime minister would shut the fuck up about Russia being the motivator for this and the Salisbury poisoning being a motivator for yeah. this. Yeah, I mean, but they're basically framing it as a... Well, Russia is basically framing it as a kind of Gulf of Tonkin-Stalin incident. Um, for those that don't know, the Gulf of Tonkin being uh, the incident which kick-started the Vietnam War, um, which it came out many years later could very likely have been something that the US started themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Gulf of Tonkin thing. With the, there I mean, was, I, there I, was no I second using, strike, we know that now. Yeah, I hate using this term, false flag, because of the connotations it has now with Infowars and that kind of crazy crew. But like a lot of wars are made with completely false pretenses, the most obvious being WMD in Iraq, but also yeah. the first time uh, when we, uh, during uh, Operation Desert Storm, during the first Gulf War, uh, one of the main things that motivated us to go to war then were claims that a diplomat's daughter had seen uh, S uh, Saddam Hussein's uh, Saddam Hussein's soldiers uh, killing babies in hospitals, which right, later yeah. was turned out to be completely fabricated. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Gulf of Tonk Tonkin completely fabricated. Uh, much of the uh, much of the criteria for the you know the Korean War completely fabricated. There's a long, long history of this. So yeah, that that's what the Russians are saying here. I'm not saying whether it's happened or not, but it's kind of they did. It's, they said that about the Salisbury incident. They're basically like, yeah, that the British did it to themselves. Oh yeah, and the that, Russians are also full of shit. Yeah, and now they're saying, oh well, you did this to yourselves as well. <laughs> well, not to yourselves, but you did this. to You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. They claimed that the they claimed that the British specifically. Uh, set off a false flag uh, in the du uh, in the Duma poisoning, which would beg the question: the SAA has that area completely surrounded. How would the British have gotten those supplies there? Yeah, I feel like if you were doing a false flag, you wouldn't have to involve like it would be a really weirdly elaborate false flag to have two separate incidents. Not to mention, Britain would not be the people you would get to do it. Yeah, it, it, you'd have one incident that is the trigger, and then you'd go from there. You know that you, you don't need two reasons. You, why would you have two states? Yeah, anyway. So that's what the Russians are saying. Obviously, Iran have responded as well. Allies of both Russia and Syria, the coalition will be responsible for the regional consequences of this adventurous action. Which is basically correct as well. Yeah, that's that's fair. But there's we should outline as well. A lot of people ask this question. Why are Russia so interested in Syria? Why are Russia allied with Syria? What's the history there? 
Um, you might be able to give a bit of background on this, Alex, but from my personal knowledge, I was under the impression it goes back to the Soviet Union with um, arms selling. Um, they bought a lot of arms from the Soviet Union those days. Uh, and at the moment, currently, they have they actually have Russian naval bases on the Mediterranean side of Syria. Well, that, that's that's certainly true. The general gist of it is that Syria has uh, always been kind of a crossroads with regards to what the U.S. has wanted to do in the Middle East. Uh, in general, the U.S. policy in the Middle East has always been to uh, remove Arab nationalist and uh, communist governments and install uh, es essentially uh, right-wing ideologues of the kinds that largely make up the uh, like the current rebel forces. Uh, and so, just in an, just for the common purposes of countering U.S. hegemony, Russia has tended to be uh, in a position to support uh, whatever the government of Syria was at the time. Uh, again, just to just to counter U.S. hegemony uh, in the region. Uh, this is also the same reason Iran is involved. They just they don't want uh, the U.S. to have complete imperial control over this section. Um, the communist part is less the case. Uh, Syria is not communist. Uh, there's there's an extent to which the uh, the Arab nationalist ideology is socialist inspired, but they were never exactly close with the USSR. Certainly not in the way that, for instance, the communist government in Afghanistan was. So actively attributing it to communism is probably inappropriate compared to uh, uh, discussing it in the context of, like I say, countering U.S. hegemony. Uh, so that that's primarily how I would read it. So that's what's going on that angle. So coming back to the U.K., obviously this was primarily a U.S.-initiated attack. It wasn't yes. something that came out, you know, it, it was the U.K. doing it unilaterally on their own. It wasn't France, but it was... UK and France supporting the US. It was four RAF tornadoes that, um, that contributed in this effort. Um, this was decided at a cabinet meeting, um, I believe, was it Thursday or Friday, earlier in the week, um, for about two or three hours, quite a long cabinet meeting, discussing what their response would be. And the response in that cabinet meeting uh, was basically that the UK should support whatever action is taken by the US, which hadn't been announced there. That hadn't been even agreed by Trump. And this comes from the chemical attack about a week before, a week ago from now. So we've got the responses from May and Corbyn on this now following the attack. May says that doing this attack was both right and legal. Uh, and also actually using the actual terms that David Cameron used following the Syria bombing in 2015, uh, the right thing to do. Cameron trotted that out like, like uh, what's, the, what's his name? The Australian guy, elections guy, Linton Crosby. He was trotting the right thing out, right thing, right thing to do out like Linton Crosby had told him to do it. Um, said it tons and tons and tons. And Theresa May saying it now after this uh, attack as well. Corbyn uh, has said that this attack was quote legally questionable. Charitable there apparently, but certainly yes, it's 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 absolutely open to legal questioning as again uh, we discussed uh, with our you know international law expert. The problem seems to be around this whole thing is that once again we're in the situation of talking about the Syrian civil war uh, and the whole Syrian conflict in the Middle East at the moment and the amount of factions that are involved, there's barely a good guy to 
point the thing to point the finger out saying we should support them. You yeah, know, there, there's barely there's the Kurds in the north, and they don't have designs on the rest of the country. And many times in the tw in human conflict, and in, certainly in the 20th century, um, humans have fallen into the trap of having to try and frame things in a good guy versus bad guy scenario. And the universe is not that simple. There's not always a good guy. Sometimes there can be multiple bad guys, and the Syrian civil war seems to be one of those uh, where you've got not just two or three sides that are less fa less favourable, ones you wouldn't want to support, um, but you've got you know a kind of a whole multiplex of different um, sides there that are, that you sh shouldn't really be receiving support. Yeah, I would argue that since uh, this war in particular is a civil war, there's even less ability to delineate like whose side we should interfere on yeah. than at all, partly because again international community is supposed to say neutral in sides of international uh, in uh, instances of civil war unless specifically invited to participate by the government but also because you know, the, the factions here are a horrific police state, uh, like war criminal barbarian, versus a huge number of like grotesque Salafist militias up to and including Al-Qaeda affiliate uh, Jabhat al-Nusra uh, and also ISIS. Like, it, it's it's a bad lot all around for the most part. The Kurds basically are the only people you'd want on your side. And what we've got going on here with this chemical attack is basically, well, the chemical attack is awful and we need to find out who did it and it, you know, it's it's likely following the intelligence of that, that helicopter that was seen as it's very likely it's that's uh, Bashar al-Assad's forces. Um, the other forces don't have helicopters. Um, but it, it's like, well, we want to stop this from happening again, don't we? But then again, it could be far worse if we get involved. So it's it's what what of those decisions do you take? And arguably, no decision is the right decision. Um, and I think that's where people find it difficult. But there's lots of difficult arguments and lots of problematic arguments that are being put forward. And one of them was pointed out by Matt Zarb Cousin, who's been pretty on it on many occasions. Uh, a tweet going through, you know, the type of things we need to be hearing from people if they want to uh, intervene, like the arguments they need to be making. But really, the last bit of his tweet that says, are these people's arguments just, well, if we don't bomb, we're doing nothing? You know, that that's not sufficient enough of an argument to going to war and doing this sort of action well if we do nothing you know what we can't just do nothing that doesn't mean you have to do something his full tweet is has anyone who wants to bomb syria actually made the case for bombing which targets how it fits into a roadmap to peace how they'd mitigate risking an escalation of tensions between powers in the region or is their argument just well if we don't bomb we're doing nothing i will say that as someone who is opposed to your intervention uh, here or in frankly m the vast majority of cases this attack is like the best possible option they've damaged some buildings having told everyone to yeah. evacuate it it's it, it it potentially ties us into a coalition for further action should the u.s basically decide that that's what they want to do exactly you know if trump decide if trump like if trump and bolton and pompeo all of whom believe that we are in civilizational conflict with the muslims uh, you know, if they decide that we want to do something else, this presents a precedent 
for them and for our own government. Especially now John Bolton is in, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a glassy-eyed psychopath, if ever there was one. Give us 30 seconds on him if for people that haven't heard of him before. Uh, John Bolton is a legitimate crazy person. He, He's now the National Security Advisor, right? Yes, National Security Advisor. Uh, formerly a advisor to the Bush presidency. Uh, he's noted for making the arguments that in the cases of both North Korea and Iran, because we don't know whether or not they're going, uh, they have the capacity to nuclear bomb us uh, or nuclear bomb America, we should drop a nuclear bomb on them just in case. He's fundamentally a bloodthirsty war hawk, and so it shouldn't surprise anyone uh, that he's supported and respected on both sides of the aisle in America, in particular by Chuck Schumer, who really likes his take on Israel. That's John Bolton, new national security advisor for Donald Trump. Yes, and a complete scumbag. Arguably, it's not hard to argue that maybe if he wasn't there, this type of thing not necessarily wouldn't happen, but the likelihood of it would be a lot lower. And certainly the likelihood of it escalating would be much lower. This is a guy who wants blood. He believes that military righteousness is the way that you should conduct these kinds of things. So obviously a lot of the left has been out saying this probably shouldn't happen, we probably shouldn't be intervening here. Yes, the chemical attacks are awful, but that doesn't mean you can just wade in, you know, without any actual sort of legal um, right to do so. Which we know because we didn't have a legal right to do the thing we just did. Exactly. But it's not just the left. Let's point this out. Unless the left is a lot bigger than people in the UK think it is. Uh, because YouGov did some polling on this. Before any decisions were made... Um, some polling came out from YouGov saying, should we should we have a, should we have bombing? Should we have not have bombing? And there was a massive lead for people saying, no, we shouldn't be interventionist on this occasion. I think it was about forty three percent. Yeah, because that- our media class and our government may not have learned anything from the debu- like the Iraq War, the fundamental moral failure of our time. But fortunately, the British public seems to have. It was forty three percent against, and about twenty two percent in favour. Good. So, you I mean, that's a, there's at least 20 points in that, roughly. Um, another t- tweet from Matt Zarb cousin on this exact same thread, following the tweet I just mentioned from him. Inside the Westminster bubble, those who don't support bombing have to justify themselves more than those who do. But outside the Westminster bubble, it's the other way around. No case has been made, bombing is seen as a default position, which is why the public remain unconvinced. I wanted to mention that tweet alongside the YouGov uh, polling figures because he, he's right. You know, outside there's a stark there's a stark difference in opinion outside of Westminster as opposed to inside Westminster. Here you go, Westminster journalist for you, Dan Hodges from the Mail on Sunday. Hell yes, the dumbest guy in and British if, media. If, if we thought Jeremy, if we thought James Cleverly was the king of the cell phone, uh, Dan Hodges should say king of the cell phone. That's self own not cell phone as in america yeah let's hear the self own from him here he quotes jeremy corbyn sa- basically paraphrasing him saying bombs won't save lives or bring about peace and dan hodges says fine then why do we have bombs oh hands are we the baddies <laughs> it's 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 the it's the obvious thing we have we have bombs to end lives and bring about war. That's what they're for. That's that's their purpose. We do that because sometimes we like to do that because it serves, or because our uh, you know our leaders believe it serves our interests. Jeez. Anyway, on the subject of Jeremy Corbyn's response, that was one part of it there. But he did write a letter to Theresa May in response to the legally questionable airstrikes on Syria, as he calls them. And one of the main things he highlighted, and that is something that's been highlighted by a lot of other people 
which is that he says, Parliament should have been consulted and voted on the matter. The UK Prime Minister is accountable to Parliament, not to the whims of a US President. And that is kind of a thing we're saying here, that Theresa May is just sort of going along with what Donald Trump's been saying on this. Um, it's, it's not really, like we said earlier, it's not being instigated by the UK or France. It's just both of them going along, you know, saying, yes, yes, Mr. Trump, we'll, yeah. do, we'll do what you're doing. And again, we're being led by the nose by one of the most racist, warmongering administrations in recent memory. Uh, you know, a, an administration that has massively accelerated bombing of Syria, like of Syria, massively driving up, you know, civilian casualties compared to equivalent bombings under the Obama administration, which still sucked and were still morally wrong. But you know, they've massively increased civilian casualties because they don't care whether or not uh, Syrian civilians die unless it's something as visible as these strikes. It's 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 completely morally bankrupt that we would step in with these people behind these people and there is no good excuse you can't condemn them on one hand and then later go on to you know say well we are going to follow them into war though and this is something that the democrats have been doing a huge amount as well they've been pushing for interference against uh bashar al-assad all the while like you know openly saying that trump is corrupt and stupid and like deeply racist and should be taken out of office. They're saying essentially contradictory things that, you know, either uh, Donald Trump should launch a war in their name or he should be removed for being, you know, for being, like we say, corrupt and a fraudulent president. It's, it's insanity. Another thing that Jeremy Corbyn highlighted in his letter to Theresa May, and we just mentioned a quote from him there, is that a lot of people think even more than whether we should go and do this airstrike or not, um, there's arguments to be had there completely, that Parliament really should have been consulted on this. And recent history has shown there's been basically a convention set up ever since the Iraq war, that if you want to take uh, you know, unprovoked military action, um, you know, when the UK is not under threat and it's not a really strict emergency. And there's no UN mandate for doing so. Then you need to take it to Parliament. Yeah, you, you need to take it to Parliament if you're going to commit an international war crime. So that leads to the discussion of why hasn't that been done this time? It's, it's called the Royal Prerogative, for those that don't know. It's basically powers handed down from the Queen to the Prime Minister, where in actual technicality, the Prime Minister can take the country to war at any time and they can just do it. Um, very much similar to the, the US, the uh, commander-in-chief kind of mindset. Yeah, whoever wins the popularity contest gets to kill whoever he likes. Yeah, but l like we said, since 2000, um, uh, 2003, anyway, the Iraq war, there's been a convention that you take it to the Houses of Parliament. You know, it's just been the same for, um, for Libya, for Syria previously. And they probably learned from Libya, frankly. Yeah. Because, of course, they lost that vote. Something that was pointed out by a few people is that Trump launched an attack within three days of a chemical incident in Syria last year. Do you remember that one? Yep. When all the MSNBC people were like getting so hyped up about it. Like I say, 54 Tomahawk missiles and they basically lightly damaged an aircraft yeah. carrier and some runway. He did that within three days. This time he waited a week and he said, you know, he, he let people know we're thinking about it for a while. Tweeted about it openly. Exactly. Plenty of time that Theresa May could have cleared time at the House of Commons to be able to do that, to have that vote. If it's if it is an emergency, right? Um, 
that that no we didn't do that and it, this is why we elect people we don't elect people just to, set, to hand the powers to to Theresa May to just take us to, on bombing runs whenever we want or whenever she wants I mean but by that logic we also didn't elect Donald Trump so we probably shouldn't be directing our foreign policy no no it, it's you know anyway we want I, I feel I feel like the reason why I mean, regardless on those people saying we should go and bomb or not, in that YouGov poll, I think a lot of them are just thinking, you know, well, let's have a vote on it at least, you know. No, it's not. It's not. They don't have to do it. It's a convention. As we can see here, they don't have to do it. Um, this was something that was discussed on Question Time, which we've got a clip of right now from Thursday evening just gone. And believe this is with Joe Johnson, who is, of course, very relevant here. Boris Johnson's brother, the Foreign Secretary, Boris Johnson. So... People were asking him, it was a big topic on the show, what's going to happen. This was after the cabinet meeting all day Thursday. I love it. A dumbest cabinet member's less successful brother. Hell yeah, dude. Exactly. So let's let's hear what he had to say in this scenario. And we're just coming back off a question here of someone who's just said, no, we have to have a vote. Uh, quite a young audience member saying, we have to have a vote on this. It's not just a convention or something that should be in place it's a moral like responsibility yeah if we're arguing this strike from the position of screw the rules it's the right thing to do this would have been the right thing to do yeah if you want to you know uh, criticize a dictatorship or take people down and say that you should be having a democratic system in place you don't just flout in the democratic system and say let's go to war because we want to and we don't care about the opposition anyway let's hear what joe johnson had to say on this from that question no, as, I said, as I said earlier, no decision on a particular course of action has been taken, nor on the timing of any action. You're not answering the that question. Might, might, that might ensue. As I said, there's no constitutional requirement for a vote. There are lots of ways for Parliament to, to hold governments to account for their actions through debates and others. So, other well, so well, hang on, but he's saying, you, you, I don't know what you mean by hold, Parliament, hold government to account. He's saying the decision should be made by Parliament. The Why do you should object be voted to that? on by well, Parliament? Does it matter if there's a constitutional requirement or not? There is a moral requirement to have our MPs vote on this, regardless of what the Constitution says. It needs to happen. It's only relatively recently that Parliament has uh, taken on this role of authorising military action. It's not part of our system of government. It hasn't traditionally been. Governments do uh, have this prerogative right to... Uh, take military action in urgent situations, and the Cabinet Manual is pretty clear on that. But I've got to stress that there has been no decision to take military action at this point. What we've but said Joe, very clearly no, is we want to... No so that was actually before the attack took place. And I wanted to play that clip because there's a few moments in there from Joe Johnson that I really wanted to highlight. The first of those being saying, oh, it's a relatively new convention, really, so... And of course, any kind of idea of improving on traditional convention is anathema to Conservatives, because yeah. that's their point, that's their it's, ideology. It's relatively new, is it, Mr Johnson? Good. So, wh why does that matter? Yeah, great, we're improving. You know, uh, in the grand context of history, rights for LGBT people are relatively new. So, you know, the, that doesn't delegitimize them. Yeah, like having democracy in this country is certainly newer than having a king. So there's that. There's also the point where he said, uh, you know, we do have parliament for a reason to hold the government to account. Right, so 
you know, after you've done the attacks, right? Women, women to hold you to account. It's it's such a lower level of scrutiny. Yeah, yeah. You're saying, not supposed to actually stop them from doing anything. You're supposed to wag your finger at them and go, "Oh, that was very yeah. naughty." We're meant to. We're meant to. You know. We wouldn't have liked that if you'd asked <laughs> us ahead of time. Yeah, we're, we're only you. You meant to do the airstrikes first, then we put you on the naughty step. We don't stop you from do killing people straight away. Anyway, so do you think any fur if any further action is taken, there will be a vote? in Parliament because we've had Theresa May and also the Defence Secretary Gavin Williamson earlier on today and not ruling out further action. You know, if there's another chemical attack, what happens then? Of course there won't be. They don't want this to be another Libya where their hands are tied because of, you know, that pesky democracy. They didn't ask for it this time. Why would they vote for it? Why would they ask for it again? Yeah. Well, I think... I don't know. I feel like if they do it again and there's no vote in parliament then there's going to be even more of a stink kind of you know domestically people will be making that much more of a shout about it but anyway this could escalate it could not we'll see where things go this has been off the fence with me james fox me alex maskell thanks for listening off the fence talk on twitter soundcloud.com slash off the fence plus itunes we'll see you there soon